Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Lifestyle Mastery and I'm excited to have Justin Michael, who's an outbound sales maven who has built the deepest client acquisition methodology of all time, which is called the Justin Michael Method. Justin is the best-selling author of Sales Superpowers and Tech-Powered Sales, which has proved that over 75% of top funnels can be automated by raising a technology quotient. Welcome to the show, Justin. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Rohit. I'm excited to be here and uh, appreciate the uh, auspicious introduction about automation. I am known for that. I've had many pictures of a robot face, <laughs> which look better now with ChatGPT with a <laughs> stable diffusion in mid-journey, you know? The yeah, robot yeah. guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. But, you know, how did you get your start in sales? You know, what, what got you interested in that? So... I fell into sales when I was 21. I was actually in in music marketing in the age of MySpace, and I was uh, an A and R and uh, for independent record labels and music. And I was doing a lot of promotion of these bands and management through MySpace. And uh, in my mid 20s, there were startup incubators doing e education and fundraising SaaS. And I met some investors that brought me in to do guerrilla marketing right at the time of when Facebook was starting, which is ironic because I eventually, about five years later, worked for Sean Parker directly in one of his philanthropic ventures, which was called causes.com. Interesting. How, how, how was it? I lost you there. Sorry. Sorry. I, I was just wondering, you know, how, how was it working with Sean Parker? Yeah, I mean, at this time, he was very much into his Lord of the Rings character. So he had a very cool uh, staff of Gandalf, which I thought was amazing. But the guy's uh, very down to earth and brilliant. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. I learned a ton. Interesting. And, and uh, you know, um, before the call, we you, you mentioned about you know, Hypercycle and Hot Skill Exchange as well as, as your consulting business. How do you, how do you manage to you know work around all these businesses and you know w- what in particular are you trying to achieve from yeah. both the marketplace and the community? Yeah, so I would definitely give credit to my co-founder uh, Julian Imchinsky, who is the brains of the operation, and uh, the secret is very deep work in Asana and being a whiz at project management, which I am not. But yeah, you have to be pretty ruthless with your time, in a way. Um, really essentially like I do coaching, advising and consulting, which is just me solo helping teams with workshops, helping individuals with executive and leadership coaching, very much focused on uh, growing the top line as a facet of increasing income. So there's 11 million salespeople who make 50% and 40% of them are side hustling. So I help a lot of them either crush their role, get promoted or launch a side hustle. Then uh, Julia and I have this community that we co-founded, which yeah. has a similar audience to maybe Pavilion, but it's all virtual. And these days wow. it's CXO debates every month. And we have a Slack channel. We have uh, just a great think tank of, C- of C-level executives and GTM leaders um, at all levels, really trying to push GTM forward. And um, third area, which she invented, is this platform called Hardscale Exchange, hardscale.exchange. 
And imagine a one-to-one coaching marketplace that's on demand for skills and uh, skill building. So yeah, I'm busy, <laughs> but you can't stay in services your whole life unless you love it. And I do love coaching and helping people. But one day I would love to, to reach that level. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, which is like um, MMWYS, make money while you sleep. Yeah. <laughs> I make good money while I'm awake. So I'm not quite there. <laughs> got it, got it. So super interesting. And especially when it comes to community like hyperscale, you know, what what does it take to build build a community and and, and make it engaged? You know, because I think that's that's really difficult to make a community so engaged. Yeah, like the way I compare it is I see some of the traditional communities more like Las Vegas and we're trying to be maybe Dubai, but maybe it's more like Burning Man or maybe it's more like um, Coachella or a jazz speakeasy to put it in a musical term. So, you know, it's the concept of 1000 true fans or 100 true fans. You actually don't need a massive core, but you need to find people that are really seeking quality. And, uh, you can never get enough content. The world is starving for content. Get a Netflix account. <laughs> Bless their heart, yeah. they've gotten better. But you know, when you're like, you can't find a movie, but there's, you know, a million movies across the channels. So what I found um, as a writer and as a coach is that although there are 10,000 coaches, if you really find your own unique flavor and embrace it, they're starving for that content. And when you create a community, if you find your tribe and you put out a certain quality of what you dig, the jazz of you, you will attract, right? Create the garden with the butterflies and more butterflies come. So that's the key. If you copy other things, if you try to make it like something else, it'll be hit and miss. Mm, got it. Got it. And, and, you know, I was wondering, you know, what is, what is the Justin Michael method? You know, what is, uh, what is it that you've built, uh, which has been so successful? So, what I did is I looked at um, the entire funnel of, of sales, traditional technology and software sales. And I saw the funnel and I saw 10,000 consultants and I saw some amazing methodologies and qualification frameworks, Challenger, Spin, Miller-Hyman, Huthwaite, Command of the Message, Value Selling, Conceptual Selling, Solution Selling on and on and on down the whole funnel. And then I went up here to the very top of the funnel and I find some really strong players too. Um, people I love like Jeb Blunt, Mike Weinberg, there's the Cardones, the Belfort. There's so many good things happening here. But I wondered, could I bring a sophistication and depth to the mechanics of just the top of the funnel going outbound for net new business, which impacts about 10 million, 11 million people. So when I started to look at the top of the funnel, I broke it down into seven pillars. One, timing, targeting, triggers, right? Time management, this piece, right? And we, we target the right people. Two, email. So how can we reimagine these? Boom, how can we reimagine it? Social, how can we reimagine it? Visual, video, and then like chat GPT, and then text stacks, right? So I took every element here and created a depth to this. So the first book was called Tech Powered Sales. And the first realization is there's no book that has sequences, yet Outreach.io and Sales Loft, like everyone's doing sequences and there's no book on it. Mm -hmm. So wrote the book with Tony Hughes in Australia, the big hit, it was a bestseller. Came up with the, the term TQ, technology quotient, as distinct to IQ and EQ. Mm -hmm. Well, what we proposed is 
investing a heck of a lot in the tech stacks. We thought there'd be a lot of M&A and then the pandemic hit and then the recession hit The we're not in recession hit. And so reps would come to me and say, I love your book, but I don't have 2000 a month <laughs> for tech stacks. So what I decided to do is just to say, okay, I sold from the year 2001 till, I mean, I still sell to this day, but still 2020, like over this 20 years, what did I learn? And I built these, like an operating system called the Justin Michael method, where I reimagine all the form factors of the top funnel channels. And that was just tactics. And I built those into guides called the codexes, codex one through 17. I released it to Reddit and like 25,000 people downloaded it. And then I watched all the major sales trainers doing top funnel, all their emails got shorter, like all the elements that I had found in AB testing 5 million emails and doing 20,000 cold calls, all those disruptions started to cascade across the whole ecosystem. But then what I found is that 5% of your success is like, while you're awake, (laughs) your, your Mm -hmm. conscious elements, it's really mindset and subconscious. And so what, you know, Justin Michael method one to deal with in, in future releases is really the deeper operating system and mindset behind how you write behind communication, linguistics, and something I call heuristics, <laughs> which I borrowed from engineering, which is mental shortcuts in building B2B copywriting and sales communication. That's influenced by neuroscience, game theory, relationship dynamics, behavioral psychology, um, neuro-linguistic programming, you know, everything you could think of. And then I just worked for this company where I got to send 5 million emails, (laughs) 5 million out of sequencers, not at the same time for a hundred clients built that up. And what I found is the results of those empirical experiments matched the scientific method of Jeremy Donovan, who was the SVP of sales loft for quite a while. And he ran experiments on 6 million emails and I compared notes and that became a new way to think. Now, first giant realization is email doesn't exist. The human brain is visual. Nice. Something that is visual is processed 60,000 times faster by the brain. Uh, email under 50 words converts 60% higher than over. Three sentence email processed for three seconds. Three paragraphs takes 11 seconds to process and triggers the am- amygdala, which is fight or flight. Mm. So like, I started to create visual prospecting and I started to create Venn diagrams that were custom and send them. So I take a Venn diagram, send it to the chief digital officer of McDonald's, responded on the first email. That happened to me in 2017. I just about fell off my chair. I'm like, this is my Doc Brown flux capacitor moment. I fell off my chair, hit my head on the toilet, invented time travel. Like I'm going to create Venn selling. Well, it just turned out by breaking everything down to first principles, kind of like Elon Musk inspired we could pretty much reimagine everything for a mobile world. Mm. And most of selling and trying to get meetings is a hundred years old. Yeah. So that's where it all began. It was a very long answer. No, no, I really, really like that. What I think is like, you know, sales is more psychology than anything else. You know, what can sales reps do to master the psychology of their prospects in order to get them to respond? You know, there's a lot that comes out of parallels to, you know, human relationships and dating like you can't just smother people Mm. and love bomb them and overwhelm them and chat gpt which i call homogenous gpt it says 
you know, Rohit, congrats on the move. Congrats on the news. It's so great. And it just basically is like a used car lot. It just preps you up. It's like, oh, wait for it. Commission breath. Here's a sale. So like flipping the polarity and making people chase you is a game of curiosity. Because human beings, they, they love to buy, but they hate to be sold. Yeah. So there has to be an art of enchantment and intrigue and mystery and creating desire. And the vast majority of outbound reps are just buffeting the prospects with repetition and thinking the more they hyper-personalize, but it it's so needy and reachy and clingy and creepy. No, no one in their right mind would ever respond to that in a normal social context. So by definition, it's broken. So I create these guardrails and boundaries where I make sure that a rep's communication doesn't violate those bounds. Example, hey, I've got this amazing AI product. You're going to get 200% revenue growth. It's AI for sales. You're like, generic, generic, vague BS. And you're just, boom, it bounces off you. Versus we have 16 data science scientists on staff, put 42 million in R&D back into our engineering stack. We're using quantum computing and we're able to predict our forecast with a five nines error rate. Like I'm just making this up, but you all of a sudden your brain's like, that's not BS. <laughs> so it's, it's about credibility and authority. And a lot of the Robert Cialdini persuasion elements injected into the form factor, which is we do voice to voice phone. We right. do some email thing. We do something on LinkedIn. Maybe we text, but that's it. We can't fax anybody. It's illegal to send text. So we've got calls, emails, and LinkedIn. And, and then it's like sales navigator, a dialer, data out of Zoom info, yeah. and emails that are, and all these are limited how much we can send. True. Like modern technology selling is only these like four narrow form factors. And the only solution has been send us a thousand emails a day. And now Google's yeah. like, you can send 50. And yeah. it, so it's really hard actually <laughs> people yeah. come to me like i can't do it i'm like doing everything everyone else says and i have no meetings and no opportunities and that's like where it was all born and it's like if you don't have the money to do it and you just have gmail a cell phone a google spreadsheet and a basic linkedin account can you use the justin michael method heck yes got interesting and and i was just wondering especially you know this year uh it's been a tough year for, you know, for sales guys, but how do you build relationship with prospects really fast? You know, what questions would a sales guy uh, ask in order to build that sort of relationship in a, in a virtual environment? Yeah. So it really comes down to active listening. You know, Mike Bosworth, who's a mentor and he's wrote the forward to a book I, I co-wrote with Julia called reinventing virtual events, where we talk about this, that's on Wiley. He talks about how the mind has seven slots, and so everyone's running around looking for pain, but there's no more pain. There's 20,000 MarTech solutions and 1,500 sales solutions. So if you call someone, what's your pain? They go, meh, none. So it's more understanding people's priority and their objectives and what they're focused on and then helping them you know, be more effective or efficient at hitting that. And what I have, I have this cold calling methodology called Route, Ruin, Multiply. And it always stuns people because ruin is not what's the pain, not, oh, most clients are you have these challenges. I literally ask them what's working. Right. I go toward pleasure to establish trust so that they open up to me and tell me what's wrong. So like 
the traditional approaches of like funneling on pain or peeling onions or trying to go for latent pain is very hard because by the time I get to you and you answer your phone, you've had hundreds of vendors pitch you yeah. with that pain forward pitch looking for your pain. So the prospect says, don't tell them the pain, I'll get sold. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so okay. I've had to really think of this hard with the psychology of how we open calls. Right now on planet Earth, uh, millions if not billions of phone calls are made and they typically yeah. go like this. Hey, Rowan, how you been? How are you? The natural, number one technique. Number two technique is, did I catch you at a bad time? Yeah. Number three technique is, this is a cold call. I hate making them. You hate getting them. That's Sandler from 60s. It's brilliant because it is funny. It's humor heuristic. There's other stuff like, you don't know me because you're scared of a stranger, but like, or can I get 30 seconds? I call all of these kind of PBOs, permission-based openers. Right. The problem is, as Orrin Claff talks about, is that we have a frame. And if I call you and lower my frame, my status, and act in a subservient or servile way, it's very hard for me to ever regain the footing. So a lot of my methodology, if you will, is helping reps at all levels to maintain the frame, to come from a place, a position of strength, where it can shift the polarity. Curiosity is your answer. Most sellers are like, what am I doing wrong? What should I be saying? What should I be doing? I'm like, you should take all that attention off yourself and put it all on them. You nice. need to not exist. You need to get them talking. But traditional cold calling is I call you, interrupt you, and then I buffet you with logic. The minute I interrupt you on a phone, your new brain, your neocortex shuts off and your old brain goes, irritation, danger, wait, and it can't listen. So the whole idea that if I just get a better and better value prop and pitch you from the front, I need to like hear you out, say your name, let you talk, calm you down. And then once you ask me, what's this about now from a place of safety, I can pitch. So like a lot of what I'm doing with neuroscience is it's just really easy. There's two brains, old brain, right? Claff calls it the croc brain and then the new neocortex. Uh, cortex. Dogs don't really have too much development here, right? And that's okay. But for us, like if you send bland emails and you, they're not emotional, you're just like, make 300%. It just bounces off the front brain. So mm. sometimes doing something that provokes where there's pain or fear, loss aversion, risk aversion, it's why none of your emails are responded to. Because it's just sunny, happy as a little clam. Like there's nothing there to show possible loss or opportunity cost. Mm. So like these, these are the elements where I'm kind of pop psychology and armchair neuroscience. I'm not credentialed by any means. I've just tested everything. Mm, got it, got it. Super interesting. And especially what advice would you give to sales reps um, who are getting on multiple relationships with an account to, to prevent of, you know, prevent the potential of losing your champion, um, especially during the times when you know it's becoming difficult for them to uh, to close on deals. Multi-threading is critical, like developing yeah. multiple relationships in the account. Right. It's also critical to figure out the CEO of the problem. Yeah. And it's crucial to understand there's a consensus now everywhere. So there's 11 stakeholders, 22 stakeholders, and running a business deal in enterprise, it's like a political campaign. So what I do when I approach it, account, I look at it as a pyramid, then I go top down, bottom up, middle out, same time. I create an art of confusion. I send Venn diagrams. I, I 
rustle up all the stakeholders in the buying committee and someone steps forward and says, actually, I'm in charge of this and this is my fiefdom. And so the problem is if you go in from the top and you're thinking it's the power base, they block you, say, hey, I'm the CRO, don't contact my team, and then they can't get the consensus below. If you go to the VPs or the directors, they block you, say, don't call above me the CRO, and you get these gridlock deals where it's not as simple as you got a director meeting and you can multi-thread back. You can't get back in. You have to knock on a lot of doors like a swarm of bees at first and allow the committee to self-select. And I use a technique that comes from Brian Kreuzberger, which is morphed what I call it waterfalling. Like I call above the person. So if like my ICPs, VPs of sales, I'm just calling CROs because I want to get delegated down. Okay. I want, you know, you're the CRO, Rohit, and you're going to delegate me down to Susie. And I want to talk to you say, hey, talk to Susie. I knew that, but I got that. I talked to you. I send her an email, say via Rohit Malhotra, and then I get the meeting because she sees that and she checks. She's like, did you talk to this guy? Yep. Mm. Current, current, interesting. And and how do you feel about discounting? You know, uh, there's there's uh, it, it's pretty divisive. A lot of sales leader feels that you know discounting doesn't work. Some say it does work, but when 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 do you think is the right time to do it if you want to do it? Yeah, so I've been really influenced by the work of Alan Weiss, who does million dollar consulting and million dollar proposals, and his big claim to fame in there is a choice of yeses. And then I also Todd Capone taught me in my boot camp at Salesforce Exact Target Marketing Cloud back in the day, 2012 era. Yeah. Essentially, it depends. If you have big SaaS tiers and deals, you have different levels, uh, levers, basically. I call it the Capone levers. And the money is more valuable if it comes in faster. And yeah. the money is more valuable if it's paid up front versus quarterly versus monthly terms. And it's more valuable if it's multi-year. And there's just so many ways that money is more valuable. Now, if you give someone a concession, tit for tat, you take one back. So if you give a discount, you ask for a testimony or a case study. You always have to get something yeah. for the give. But when it comes to coaching and consulting in the, my world, is I always make it most expensive for people to work with me the shortest amount of time. Mm. And then the longer they commit, it's a better deal because they're making more of a commitment to me, which allow me to have more transformation. I always give people at least three choices and they're probably going to pick the middle one. And I learned that back in charity fundraising. And that was really bolstered by Alan Weiss's work. Got it. And, um, you know, a couple, couple of months back, I, I, went on uh, a discovery call. I had the CFO who came on the first call. Uh, do, do you think, uh, you know, CFOs are not buying new technology today? Um, and how do you how do you bypass that? You know, I think you really need a compelling ROI business case, meaning people tend to mistake what ROI means. It has to be a cash register and not a cost center. So... Um, that's really what's critical. Um, you have to be able to establish at what point they're going to make a hundred a back, right? So, uh, you know, if, if they are going to invest a hundred K into a solution, is it going to get back in three months in six months? And when is the three X going to come back? I'm sorry. actually literally handling a, a massive proposal right now. So that's hilarious. So sorry about that little, little crisis, but yeah. So if you 
deal with the CFO, deal with them directly and show three business cases, literally like small, medium, and large, depending on the payback period. Like kind of like when you go to invest with a mutual fund and they say conservative, medium, they should say like crazy, but you know, like aggressive, right? Because um, when I was doing big fortune 500 deals, you would have to have at least a three X return. And sometimes they had a VP of financial planning and analysis that would calculate that with you because that was their policy in the enterprise. And we were getting like 18 X return. We're getting these awesome returns and we felt justified in putting that up. But if you have like ephemeral software where you don't think it's going to make money back, I would do what Matt Dixon suggests in Jolt Effect and do a POC or a paid POC that's affordable or an audit or a testing ground that has tranches and has milestone triggers that, in the contract trigger additional payments. Got it. And, and what, what is the best way to show customers a value that you provide? Is it through a case study, um, uh, like, like you mentioned earlier, is that the best way to share the top three case studies? Yeah, so I really believe that the best I saw this was in the days of Tune.com that I worked for uh, in global sales development and also in Exact Target, which became Salesforce Marketing Cloud. They used YouTube really adroitly. They had YouTube sections by vertical, by industry, and they, in some cases, had dozens, and in one case, like literally hundreds. And so someone says, what can you do for mini commerce? And you're like, check out these five YouTube case study testimonials of using customer journeys and marketing automation for your peers. So your best uh, sellers and advocates are your customers because of relevant social proof, which is that Cialdini concept. So um, for me, what makes me really interesting as a consultant and coach is I lower the veil. Anyone who wants to work with me, I send them, I don't know, 50 referenceable testimonials and say, call them all. So I had this client named Dario who contacted 75 of them. And then I just got a ton more screenshots, which was really cool. <laughs> That is super interesting. And especially with, with sales leaders, you know, who are looking at sales forecasting for next year, how would you advise them to approach sales forecasting and, you know, what works, what doesn't work for them? Yeah. So um, as far as how much they should invest into their tech stacks? Uh, so I, I'm, I'm uh, referring to sales forecasting for, for next year or the next quarter. What advice uh, would you give to leaders? Yeah, I mean... Oh man, that's a tough question, right? I mean, I think it's important to invest in some type of technology that can give you a more accurate forecast. The biggest problem with forecasting is unclean CRM data and manual CRM notation. So right now, there's this company called attention.tech. It yep. listens to all your calls. If you're using Medic, it listens to see if you missed fields of Medic. It kind of like looks at top performers. It assesses what's going wrong. It synthesizes notes and summaries from that. And then in, what's it? Look, I would seek cleaning up the CRM and having perfect information to forecast against because I think the bigger root cause of the lack of forecasting is dirty data. Now, to improve forecasts as well, get your AEs to prospect mm -hmm. and make sure that they're not relying on SDRs, inbounds, and events, but 40% of their number is self-sourced and make that a KPI an OKR, a policy, an MBO, whatever acronym you want to give it. And then you've got to make sure that your CFO is not sales prevention because it's very easy to build comp plans now 
that are draconian and way harder for the sellers and to raise the goalpost, you don't want the sales leaders to feel if they overperform, they're going to get their commission taken away. What great CFOs do is their sales, they're giving spiffs for testimonials. They're making sure somebody in the company made a million bucks. Like they're just going out of their way to reward and incentivize the behaviors they want to see versus splitting hairs to try to not pay the sales team. Yeah. Yeah, I recently had Anish from Attention Tech on my pod. I'll I'll we'll, we'll put that in our show notes. And and how do you, how do you celebrate uh or do you celebrate when quotas hit? Um, especially for uh, you know sales teams who are able to hit their hit their quotas. And how do you find that balance between you know pushing further and harder, but also celebrating the wins? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I've seen all manner of bizarre things happen. I've seen someone about to close a seven-figure deal where the CEO themselves steps in to overtake the deal, lets them go so they don't have to pay out the massive commission. Mm. I've seen um, senior leaders, CROs, VP of sales, super closing around the reps. Um, I think it's important to stay consistent with the way that commissions roll out. Um, I think, you know, if someone has a career advancement path and a leadership path forward in the company i probably stayed at the player coach level and the vp sales level too long just because i was so good at the top funnel that it, like they'd never fully they never like no smart ceo is going to let me not be doing the top funnel yeah. of the startup i was in because i just was bringing so many new deals i also yeah. love doing that I was always like the guy, you know, the guy at the gym that's just like giant upper body with the spindly legs. Like I just had this like incredible, you know, ability to do this one thing. But, you know, I ended up really working hard on the full cycle. The book I just released is in two parts. And the second part gets into full cycle and all my closing negotiation demo, all my disruptive ideas. But if you are starting your own consultancy or you're doing side hustle work, remember, you know, the riches are in the niches. Yeah. So like I, I'm known or automation at the top funnel that brings me a lot of clients. And then they're pleasantly surprised that I can do deals. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, um, I was just wondering, you know, what if an A uh, does a great job just in selling should, should, and he, and he doesn't want to manage salespeople. Should he look at, uh, you know, being promoted as a VP sales? What if, you know, he's going to make more money being a, like an A, what advice would you give to him? Yeah, so what's interesting, and this is controversial, but 40% of reps side hustle. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, I feel like it's ethical as long as you're not competing with your core software. No. Um, the other thing that's important is you should be paid because a lot of people just offer you equity and then it goes nowhere. There's people that are career AEs, but I really always loved Reed Hoffman's version of Tour of Duty. So going to a company for two years or four years and then maybe going to another one. Yeah. Like in order to thrive and be happy in life, we have to be striving against a goal. Like we know this in psychology. So I've seen career AEs who just sit in a rep role for eight years, 12 years. It does happen, but it's usually because they have something cool going on outside of work. Like they're an artist of some kind or they make independent, you know, movies or they're just like doing something awesome with their family like traveling all over the, the country or around the world so surfing you know so i'm not knocking it but um keep challenging yourself don't get stifled don't stick in a rut i think an area you can work on is your acumen like i stayed in mobile marketing attribution analytics for a really long time 
to the point where I was, you know, basically one of the most technical sales reps in it. A extremely famous company, you know the name of, interviewed me nine times for a product management position. And my brother's a coder, I'm not, but I had such a deep knowledge of attribution after sitting in hundreds of those deals over right. 13 years, like I really knew mobile marketing well. So you can be a jack of all trades and do multiple verticals. And it's true, like the sales strategic selling methodologies will hold. But if you couple that with deep domain expertise in Acumen, it's pretty lethal because you don't even need a sales engineer or solutions consultant all the time. It's still great to have, but you don't, it's not a crutch for you then. Like you, you can, like you should be able to technically demo your own software. And I only learned this to the very end of my career. Was I actually able to do that? Not easy. Hmm. And, and how do you, in, in your view, how do the best sales leaders train and develop their talent? Um, is there any specific, uh, uh, examples you can you can share where you know leaders have done a great job in uh, you know developing their talent, um, developing their acumen, uh, the the talent, uh, the sales talent. Mm, yeah, I mean, I've seen that the best sales team I was on, all the way up to the senior leadership, they were really modeling the behaviors of leadership. So I worked for this guy who was. His name's Ryan Buma. He was in the ISV for Oracle and he ran that under Mark Hurd. And as the CCO, which was in this company, a CMO and CRO, he said, everybody prospects. So here's a chief revenue officer and he's prospecting. Now, you would imagine that's happening a lot, but like, it's not always the culture. It's sometimes a management culture of dashboards and managing up and down. So I think like my favorite GMs and CROs, like they were on the road with me to Atlanta. They were showing up in New York. We were doing the customer events. We were side by side developing the revenue of the business. And so, you know, I think that the leadership creates the culture. And so that boldness and that customer centricity and wanting to get out there very close to the customer from the senior leadership is awesome. Now, the downside of that is if they super close, meaning they start just doing all the business deals and they don't give you enough autonomy to be able to do it on your own and really develop new skills. So like that's a coaching point. If you're extremely good at execution as a leader, it could bite you because you just build codependent reps. Hmm. Got it. And um, and you know you you written two two best selling uh, books on uh, sales superpowers and tech power sales. One or two uh, talk about, you know, what's the biggest challenge of writing a book along with, you know, doing the consulting work and building a community? What's What's been, been the biggest challenge for writing this book? So it's weird because since I was 10 years old, I was told like, you're going to be a published author. Like I had a oh. teacher in third grade is like, okay, I've had 5,000 students and you're most likely to be a published author. So be a teacher, a banker, an author or something. So I didn't think anything of it. I put out my first book when I was 40. 30 years later. So I sold that in 1990. So for me, like weirdly, I have an odd ability with writing because my father was a linguistics PhD. So I, like I can sit and writing for me is like therapeutic and I can just like build books in quite frankly, kind of shocking amounts of time. And I always just had that dormant ability because I grew up with like Encyclopedia Britannica and 10 unabridged dictionaries, like Indiana Jones style, where we're like looking at the Sanskrit and like the old Welsh derivation etymology. So right. like, I'd say that my new publisher, Jeremy Jones, who's phenomenal, he's really stressed, like outlining the book, 
the organization, outlining the subchapters, and then writing to that outline. So I recently tried that, and it sped me up even more because I'd never once planned anything. I normally just like sit down and crank out. You know, in this case, it was ninety six thousand words. It was a two part book. So actually, the book is Sales Superpowers, and then Justin Michael Method two point oh, and that's what's on the market now. Got it. And and any advice on you know people who want to write books? What's what's one main thing you would advise them? I mean, Jeremy does coaching around this. Um, you don't know what you don't know, but um, I would say like your own perfectionism limits you, <laughs> especially writing a business book. So if you're really concerned about it being like A plus form and syntax, um, just let it flow. Let it rip from your heart and soul and get all your thoughts out, even if it's repetitive and weird. <laughs> um, write in a simplified fashion for a wide audience. And I resisted that. My first book, Tech Powered Sales, is like, it's, there's too many Scrabble words in there. I <laughs> mean, like, look, I know this word, look how, you know, complex this can be. This one, I work with editors in UK and it like, it's a high school level, but like all my most complex concepts are broken down to fundamental, simple level where people can like learn it and apply it. So the utility of your content is critical, unless you're like actually writing a philosophy book. And should you use ChatGPT to write a book? The problem with ChatGPT is I could see things that are ChatGPTized. Yeah, I can see the repeating pattern just because my brain sees that. So, like, I personally don't use it in sometimes for posting things that'll enhance, or I'll use it like Grammarly Go in writing. Grammarly is an awesome tool to use ChatGPT to quickly grab better grammar. Like that's not needed anymore to know the grammar to a degree. So that's been a huge edge. Hmm. Um, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Oh man, favorite business book of all time. So many I love. I mean, when it comes to a sales perspective, I really love this book called New Power Based Selling by Jim Holden. He talks about the fox. It's like, the situational fox, the CEO of the problem, that really helped me understand enterprise selling. Um, I'm really digging this new book, Business of Expertise by David C. Baker. I love that one. Um, those are a couple. I think they're unique. <laughs> Maybe stuff people haven't seen. Uh, got, got a real upper down in show notes. And, you know, you know, if I could go back in time when you started your career in sales, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? You know, I kept doing this. Um, when I was 21, I was in a call center doing telemarketing. It was these top five people, and I went and sat by them and emulated them. And then later, you know, in my early 30s, I emulated, I, I ended up emulating top performers, but I wasn't rigorous about doing that until like the last year. So my last year as a VP of sales over the West, I did 3 million on a 1.2 million number with a 25K ACV, crushed it. Wow. And I give a lot of thanks to a collaborator, Garrett McDonald, who was the GM and strategic VP at the time. We worked together on this book of business and this guy has done, you know, tens of millions in software. He's really... Uh, the best closer I've ever seen. And we just traveled together on the road. So I would say find the best rep you can, apprentice under them like Mandalorian, split commissions on deals and get in there and play the sport with the best person you know. And the closest thing, it's like snow skiing. 
And that's what got me into coaching. Like I go to Mammoth Mountain every year. I go just do the green run. And I finally got like a ski coach. And within a couple trips, I was doing black diamond moguls. And I was up at the top of the mountain coming out of Cornice in like 11 hours of skiing training because that person <laughs> was showing me every little trick and hack and how to advance. You see this at golf too with the stroke. So it's like invest in yourself, invest in coaching. And there, there really is right a huge delta between good and great. It's achievable to get good at sales and consulting. It's really insanely hard to be great or one of the elite people in the world right? Like yeah. 4% of coaches make a million a year and something like 1% make 1.5 million a year. And a very small percentage of SaaS sellers make over a million a year. And they actually, their mindset, their skill set, their strategy, when you go talk to them is usually informed by this kind of apprenticeship, mentorship, and emulation. Mm. Because it's not, it's not taught. It's not in the books, right? It's a, it's a sport. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I absolutely love the advice. I, you know, do the apprenticeship under on some of the best. Um, and, and what's your favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Yeah, like these days, Grammarly Go is my go-to because I get to like speed up my emails with a little GPT, but I always say you got to like see the angel in the marble and carve until you set it free, the Michelangelo. Um, I like this company, Cloud Lead, because they get me very clean data. I like attention.tech. Because I, I like the idea of an AI listening and then uncovering things to me. I really love that concept of algorithmic guided selling. That's actually what Julia was working on before. Um, AI should be smart and coach you yeah. and provide you with the next best. It should be watching you and predicting what you'll need to do next and giving you efficiency, which gives you energy and more effectiveness. And there's just a vast array of tools uh being built clay.com is really cool it's like this interactive spreadsheet that ingests everything and then throws it through AI, and you could just create this in crazy hyper personalization at very high skills this guy eric nowoslowski who um is one of my you know proteges is going very far with that stuff so yeah got it we'll, we'll put that in the show notes um justin what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about uh about you and the book sales superpowers yeah so I think I have this URL, justinmichaelmethod.com. Just go to Justin Michael on LinkedIn. You'll see Hype Cycle. You'll see Hard Skill Exchange. If you go to, you know, just put in sales superpowers, you'll find the book. It's got almost 204 stars now. It's selling at the pace of gap selling. I'm extremely elated. And uh, if you're inspired, please leave a review. And uh, yeah, if I can help coach you or your team, you know, two five X your income or pipeline, like let me know. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Justin, uh, Justin, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks so much, Rohit. It was great. It was a blast. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. 